A while ago, I went to the pub with my friend. We went there for lunch. We weren't going there to get smashed. Uh, we uh, went there and we had some lunch. And then afterwards, my friend said, oh, do you want to go and play some pool? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we can go and play some pool. And uh, he was wearing a hoodie uh, that had like a big fish symbol on the back, uh, you know, like normal Christian clothing. Uh, and uh, we went to play the pool and, and when we got there, there were these three other people in there, they were already playing pool and they'd had quite a lot to drink because they didn't come to have lunch, they came to get smashed. And so they were playing pool and my friend and I came in and they were like, oh, do you want to play? And my friend, I was like, no. And my friend was like, yeah, we'll play with you. And I was like, no. So then we started playing pool with these drunk people. And uh, as we started playing, uh, one of them noticed my friend's hoodie and he was like, ah, you guys Christians. And he was like, yeah, we're Christians. He's like, ah, it's the Christians versus the heathens. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, yeah, it is. And then, uh, and then as we were playing pool, he just kept kind of making jokes about the fact that we were Christians. He'd be like, throw the Christians to the lions. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. And then, uh, you know, we tried to be friendly, but, you know, it was a bit hard. And then at one point, uh, the guy turns to me and is like, uh, you don't mind that I'm saying all these things about you being Christians, do you? And I was like, nah, it's okay, you know, like, Friends are rude to each other. And then he turns around and he looks at me and then he grabs me by the throat and he like slams me down on the pool table and goes, you think we're Christians? You think we're Christians? No, not Christians. <laughs> friends. <laughs> you think we're friends? You think we're friends? And, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, what do I do in this situation? And so then what I did uh, was I started talking. <laughs> and so I was like, Ah, I'm being strangled on a pool table. Because <laughs> I'm like, what else do you do in that situation? I just started narrating my death. And, and at that point, my friend, who is quite large, uh, he kind of put his hand on the guy's shoulder and the guy looked around and then he kind of backed off and he was like, just kidding. I'm like, just kidding. <laughs> and then we finished the pool game and left quite quickly. Anyway, today uh, we're going to see Peter, and he's quite scared, and he's got the same problem as me. Uh, not that he narrates his death, but he just talks. He just fills his frightened moments with just words. I don't know if others of you would respond in the same way, but me and Peter, we have that kind of similarity. It's like, well, I don't know what to do. Let's just say some things. And so that's what we see Peter doing in this story. And the story starts uh, after, like six days after uh, Peter has uh, said that Jesus is the Messiah and then been rebuked by Jesus and called Satan. And then he's had some time to recover. And then Jesus invites him and James and John up on a mountain. And they go up on the mountain. And while they're up on the mountain, it says that Jesus is transfigured, that his uh, clothes become shining white. They're bright white clothes. This is a supernatural experience. And we see things like this kind of happen in the Bible at other times. Moses goes up on a mountain and he meets with God. And when he comes down from the mountain after spending time meeting with God, his face is shining bright. His face is reflecting the glory of God. But here is Jesus and Jesus is shining bright, but he's not reflecting anything. His face doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. So he just produces the uh, glory within himself. And there is this kind of glimpse that is happening for 
uh, Peter, James and John showing them who Jesus really truly is. They're kind of getting this glimpse of him in his humanity, but also in his true divinity and godness. And then appearing beside Jesus, there is Moses and Elijah, uh, which I always wonder how they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. Like when Jesus is there and they turn up, did Peter and John, James and John go, oh, it's Moses and Elijah. Like, how did, were they wearing name tags? Did Jesus like introduce them like Moses, Peter, James and John and Elijah, everyone shook hands. And, like, I don't know what would happen at that particular point, but somehow they knew there was Moses and Elijah and they were chatting with each other which is also strange. I mean, I don't know what they would do. They'd be like, oh, but I mean, they've got to chat, but what are they talking about? I don't know. Like Moses could be like, oh, I never made it to the promised land. This is nice. And Elijah would be like, well, traffic is bad since I was last here. This is terrible. Like, I don't know what they're talking about, but they're having a chat. And, and the question is, well, why is, why is it Moses and why is it Elijah who appear with Jesus? And some people will say, and I think this is true, that Moses and Elijah represent all of the old covenant. Like, so they talk about uh, the law and the prophets, that if you talk, the Old Testament is kind of summed up as the law and the prophets. And Moses represents the law because it's Moses who got the Ten Commandments from God and got taught, you know, how Israel was to live and got taught how to build the tabernacle where God was to dwell, that you know, tent that God dwelt in and, and how to build the ark. Like Moses got the law from God and gave it to Israel. And so Moses is there as a representative of the law. And then we have Elijah, who is a representative of the prophets. Uh, Elijah, as we talked about yesterday, he was a prophet whose job was to call people back to uh, faithfulness to God, that he was, he was in Israel and he was saying, you guys need to uh, worship God properly. And that was the role of prophets within God's uh, country, within, within Israel. Uh, their job was to call people back to faithfulness in God. And so you have Moses and Elijah both representing uh, the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Covenant. And they're there both with Jesus. But I think the other thing that's significant about them is that they also had encounters with God on mountaintops. Uh, you see in Moses, if you read in uh, Exodus, particularly in Exodus chapter 34, uh, Moses says to God, you know, show me your glory. And God says, all right, I'll show you my glory. I'm go we're going to go up on a mountain and, and I'm going to put you in a cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by. And as I'm going to pass by, you will, I will, you'll see my glory and I'll proclaim my name to you. But you won't be allowed to see my face because that's too great. You can only see my back. And then God does this and, and shows his glory to Moses on the mountain and says to him who he is. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And he's saying, this is who I am. And he's showing Moses himself. And Moses is having this encounter with God on the mountain. And then there's another story about Elijah. And Elijah had just had that, this uh, fight with the prophets of Baal. You might have heard that story, the one where, you know, they cut up some bulls and they, you know, they dance around them for a while and no fire comes from the sky. And then Moses is like, it's my turn. And they cut up the bull and pour some water on it. And then he just prays to God and then fire comes down and burns up the bull. And then they, everyone goes, oh, wow, we've got to worship Yahweh because he can burn bulls. We better worship him. And then they, you know, get rid of the other prophets. And as his job is, he calls them back to faithfulness in God. And then after this 
time, he's kind of depressed. And so he goes out into the desert and he wants to die. And God calls him uh, on a journey to go to a mountain. And there on a mountain, which is said to be the same mountain that Moses was on, and there he encounters God. And God comes to him and there's, you know, a great storm and wind and fire. And God is not in any of those things, but God comes to him in the silence. And Moses then experiences God uh, in a completely different, sorry, Elijah experiences God in a completely different way to the way that Moses did. But both of them meet God on a mountaintop. And then now here we have James and John and Peter, and they're all on top of a mountain. And they meet Jesus with Moses and Elijah who both had, had moments with God on a mountain. And here they are with Jesus himself, who is God himself. And they're all there together. And it's, and it's like we're being told something really, really important about who Jesus is. That he is the ultimate meeting with God. The ultimate meeting on the mountaintop. The ultimate glory of God has been shown. And instead of just being able to see God's back, or instead of just experiencing God in the silence, you have God in the flesh and God face to face with his people on a mountaintop. And this moment is kind of terrifying for all of them. And Peter, because he's afraid, just talks and he just says things. And as we see, uh, he says uh, in verse five, he says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, which is a strange thing to say. Like if, if the queen turned up with her entourage and then everyone's like, oh, it's the queen. And you wouldn't walk up to the queen and be like, Elizabeth, it's good that I'm here. He'd be like, what are you talking about? It's good Elizabeth is here. Who cares about you? Be like, it's good that I'm here. Hey. Anyway, and, Jesus, and Peter is like, all right, here's, here's what we can do. We'll, we'll build some shelters. It's great we're here. We can build some shelters. We'll build some tents. As if like Moses and Elijah and Peter all went up on the mountain for like a great camping experience. <laughs> And Peter's like, yeah, we can set up your tents and then we'll have them so that like their, you know, their openings are kind of all facing in together. And then you can, you know, wake up in the morning and greet each other and you can sit around the campfire and you can sing songs if you want to. You know, you can you sing about, you know, Jesus, what a beautiful name. And Jesus can sing my name. What a beautiful name. You know, you do that. that'd be great. It'll be so much fun. Like he just, he's just talking. He's just feeling the air. Like what he should really do is say nothing. Because this is, a, this is an encounter with God. This isn't a time for him to be speaking. This isn't a time for him to, to fill the, 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 the emptiness with his voice. It's a time for him to, to just sit and to worship and to encounter God there. And then it tells us that, uh, that a cloud descends on the mountain. And if once again uh, you have read parts in the Bible, you'll know that when Israel was walking through the desert, there was a great cloud that led them through the desert. And the cloud that led them through the desert was a pillar of cloud by day and it was a pillar of fire by night, showing the glory and the presence of God. And when they dedicate the temple in the Old Testament, you see that a cloud of God's glory comes into the temple to show that God is there. He's now dwelling in the temple. And now here comes a cloud and descends on a mountain. Out of the cloud comes a voice. And the voice says... This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And when the cloud lifts and they look around, they see that uh, there's no one else there, that Moses and Elijah are gone and there's just Jesus. And it's just Jesus because it's showing us that, that the greatest of all the prophets and the fulfillment of the law 
is Jesus Christ. And God himself, the glory of God, is Jesus Christ. And we want, if we want to know exactly who Jesus is, we just look at this and we see clearly the message that God is sending, that God's Son is God himself. It's Jesus Christ, God come to us in the flesh. So the question is then, how do we respond? And the first response is not what Peter wanted to do. We don't, you know, build monuments, but we worship. And we, we worship him with our lives. We see that he is the greatest, that he is God himself. And so we give our whole life to him and we worship Jesus. So what does it mean then to worship? Well, it means that you give yourself entirely to Jesus and you worship Jesus as Jesus alone. Because there's nothing else left on the mountain. They were all alone except with Jesus because it's only Jesus who they have to worship. Now, I think the problem often for us is that sometimes we find it hard to distinguish between worshipping Jesus and enjoying the things that Jesus brings us. Uh, I know from my time uh, of uh, doing youth ministry that uh, probably about 50% of you, if you say you follow Jesus now, in 10 years' time, you will not be following Jesus. And I think the reason for that is, is because for a lot of people who think that they're worshipping Jesus, they're not actually worshipping Jesus, but they're just enjoying the things that come along with Jesus. Because you can easily enjoy the things of Jesus. You can enjoy coming on camp and hanging out with other people who like Jesus. And you can really enjoy the times of singing together and how that makes you feel. And you can really enjoy the time at youth group or you can enjoy uh, the times at church. You can enjoy the things that come with Jesus without worshipping Jesus himself. And you can really, really like Jesus, but find that you actually aren't worshipping him, that you don't have loyalty to him, and that at some point, when the going gets tough, you leave Jesus because you love it when he gives you good things and you don't love him himself. And that's what worship means. Like, I'm someone who loves going to McDonald's. Like, I love going to McDonald's. I go to McDonald's at least once a week, probably more. I probably go to McDonald's more than I go to church. I, I like it. And I really like the food. I like that it's cheap. Uh, I like that it's easy. I like that there's McDonald's everywhere. I like that I know what to order. But I'll tell you what, as soon as the prices go up, or as soon as the food gets worse, uh, <laughs> I mean, I like the food. It's not good. But as soon as I stop enjoying the food, or as soon as it stops being quick and easy, I'm not going to hang out with McDonald's anymore because I have almost zero loyalty to McDonald's. Like I did not pledge allegiance to Ronald McDonald. I didn't commit myself to him through thick and thin and good and bad and whatever else is going on. I, 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 like I love McDonald's, but I only like McDonald's for what, for, 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 for what McDonald's uh, can give to me. As soon as McDonald's doesn't give me good things, I'm done. On the other hand, I married my wife. And she is nothing like McDonald's. <laughs> I really like spending time with her. And I, I really you know, like when we get to hang out together. But, you know, I've committed myself to her in good times and bad. And if being married to her isn't always easy, like it's not always going to be easy, not because she's difficult to be married to, but sometimes marriage is difficult. I don't bail when things get tough because I've committed myself to her. And if it gets expensive, 
Uh, I'm not going to be like, well, it's costing me too much. I'm done. See you later. I'm not like, you know, you can be married to me as long as you're earning a lot of money. That's not how it works. I say we're committed to each other in good and bad, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. From now until we die, we are committed to each other because our relationship is very different from my relationship to McDonald's. Now, the issue that we have with Jesus sometimes is that we are committed to Jesus only when things are good. But if you're following Jesus, it is definitely going to get hard because there's going to be a time when you leave the mountaintop with Jesus where you're having a really great time and you go down into the valley and you have to follow him when it's really tough. And you've got to follow him when other pe people think you're an idiot because of the choices that you've made. When people tease you because you've decided you're not going to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you're going to wait until marriage. Or you're going to, you're going to cop it because you decide that you don't want to live the same life that everyone else is living. That you go to the parties and you don't get drunk. And I know these things seem like superficial things, but the cost there isn't really about not getting drunk, but it's the social cost. The fact that you stand out and you look different from everybody else. And it's going to get tough when you know that actually instead of holding a grudge against someone, you actually have to forgive them. And that that's what Jesus calls you to do. He says, because the way that you've been forgiven, you need to forgive other people. It's going to get hard. It's going to get hard when you realize that God is going to call you to do things that is, that's going to cost you about where you live or what jobs you choose or how you spend your money. It is going to cost you to follow Jesus. And the question is, will you keep at it? Because true worship is committed to Jesus in the good times and the bad, on top of the mountain and in the valley. Are you willing to worship him? If you are going to be a leader, then you have to say, I will commit myself to him in every single part of my life, when it's good and when it's bad. And then you can enjoy all the other things that he brings, but you know that it's not those things that you are here for. You are here for him and him alone. And you've got to make that decision now, particularly before you step too far into leadership, because if you are going to bail, the people it's going to cost is not just you, but it's all the people who come after you and followed you as a leader. I've seen people who are leaders who bailed on Jesus, and it, it didn't just affect them, it affected the people who followed them. So you make the decision now and you choose, will you commit yourself to worshipping Jesus all the time, as king in the good times and in the bad times? So that's the first thing we need to do. Uh, the second thing we need to do, and things should speed up from here, uh, the second thing is that we need to, if we're going to worship him, we need to listen to him. Remember what God said in the cloud? He says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So you need to listen to Jesus. Like that kind of makes sense. It's a pretty easy application. Listen to Jesus. Although the problem is that often we are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus, but we don't spend a lot of time listening to Jesus. And that is a little bit weird. Like, it's a bit weird to be like, yeah, I really love Jesus, but I don't listen to him. I got a video that I want to show you quickly of some people who. Whoa, watch it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, there were a bunch of people who said that they listened to and enjoyed bands that they knew nothing about. You don't want to be that kind of Christian. He says that you follow Jesus and you love Jesus, but you don't actually know much about him because you don't listen to him. The good thing is that Jesus isn't made up 
There's plenty of stuff that you can hear from Jesus. And so you need to say, if I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to worship Jesus, then I'm going to listen to Jesus. And that means that you've got to take personal responsibility for listening to Jesus. It means you can't just turn up to camp you know, once a year or once every holidays and hear five talks and say, yeah, now I've listened to Jesus, that's enough. Or you can't turn up to camp and then turn up to youth group and listen to someone else tell you about Jesus, what they heard about Jesus, and say, that's enough. Or even turn up to church and say, that's enough. I mean, these are all good and important things and good and important ways to hear from Jesus. But you need to take responsibility yourself to hear from Jesus. That you will spend time yourself reading the Bible. You'll spend time yourself saying, I'm going to set aside time, in, maybe in the mornings or maybe before I go to bed or when I get home from school, I'm going to spend time reading the Bible. And it's pretty easy to do. You just sit there and you say, okay, I'm going to ask God to help me to know what it means. Then I'm going to start reading at the beginning of Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read a bit and I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. And then tomorrow I'm going to read a little bit more and think about it and pray about it and read a little bit more. Then when I finish that book, I'll start another book and read a little bit and pray about it and move on. And like, it's just reading a book and praying and asking to God to know what it means. Like you can do that, but it's about committing yourself to do that. If you feel like you can't read, then listen to the Bible. You can get free apps which read the Bible to you. I get the Bible read to me as I walk to the station in the mornings. It's great. So if you want to hear from Jesus, you can do it. If you're like, it's too hard to understand it, then you can get books that will help and talk to any of the leaders and we will help. But if you want to say that you follow Jesus, then you've got to listen to Jesus and you've got to commit yourself to putting that into practice. So that's the second thing, listen to him. But the third thing is, don't just listen to Jesus it's useless to listen to him and then not put it into practice. Like when God said there, he didn't listen to him. He didn't mean listen to him and ignore him. He meant listen because you must obey him because he is God. So you've got to commit yourself to obeying him. Otherwise, your listening is useless. I am someone who I scroll through Facebook and I see uh, videos, often video like those cooking videos. And I'll see one which would be like, you know, like potato and bacon wrapped in pastry and bacon and potato. And I'll be like, oh, that sounds so good. And then I'll save that video. And then I'll see another one and be like, custard tart with mango and bacon and potato and custard. And I'm like, oh yeah, save that one. And then I just save lots of videos on Facebook and uh, it's great that they're there and I keep watching them, but I've never made a single one of them. And they're completely useless if I just watch them and save them, but don't actually put them into practice. And the words of Jesus and the things that we read about in the Bible, which all of it is his word to us, it's useless unless you put it into practice. So how are you going to take what you hear of Jesus and actually put it into practice? And that, I am sure, is actually where the following of Jesus is going to get tough. Because that is where we get called to do things which are hard, like love our enemies, or respect our parents, or to uh, care for the poor, or to, to, to walk with people who are sick, to spend time with the marginalized, to, to give, give up our money. There are all sorts of things which are hard to follow Jesus, but that's what it truly means to worship him. It means to to love him as God, to hear him and to live out what he calls us to live. Are you willing to commit yourself to that? To see the glory of Jesus as God and to say that you will follow him 
by listening to him and obeying him in the good times and the bad, on top of the mountain and in the valley. The very last thing that we see in this passage is it says that as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this matter to themselves, discussing what risen from the dead meant, which seems kind of obvious to me, but they discussed it. And what we see in in that is that actually Jesus wanted to hold off until they'd seen him completely for who he was. The clearest picture of his glory is at the cross and at the resurrection, because there we see the glory of God in the hardest, darkest, most terrible moment in history and the most wonderful, glorious moment when God defeated death. The time when God died for our sins and God rose again, giving us new life. In that we see all the glory of God. That is truly the goodness of God. And that is the God that we want to follow. Not someone who is just wonderful and amazing on the mountain, but someone who is willing to go even to death for us, to the deepest valley, to the darkest place for us, that he has gone to the mountain and to the valley for us. And if we go there with him, he will say, I've already been here for you. And I'll walk with you through it. You don't worship him alone. You don't do it through your own strength. You do it with him who has already been there for you. Are you willing to follow him? I promise you, if you commit yourself to him as a leader who follows him in all the good times and the bad, he will be with you and empowering you all the way through. If you're not a Christian, then what this means is that Jesus is God and you need to worship him. There is no other God for you to worship. No other person was on the mountain, left on the mountain that day, shining in glory. It was Jesus and Jesus alone. You give your life to him and you will see that he's already given his life for you. He will be with you in everything if you trust in him. There's only life in Jesus. And if you are a Christian, then what you need to do is say, I will commit myself to him. I'll commit myself to him and him alone, not the good things he brings me, though they are good, but I'll commit myself to him because I know that he has given everything for me. And I want to be with him on the mountain and in the valley. He is my God who has come here for me. How about I pray? Father God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus, that you told us who he is, that he is your son who you love. I pray that we would listen to him, that we would worship him, that we would obey him in the good times and the bad, on the mountain and in the valley, that we will be followers, that we will be worshippers, that we will be leaders, that we will be your children, knowing the love that you have for us in your son Jesus. Amen.